0: It's good to be with you again this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 51 as we continue our systematic survey of the entire scriptures, chapter by chapter, book by book. This morning, chapter 51, we'll probably make it down through verse 16, and we've got to remember what the context is for these verses. Um, the context is that the, uh, the Lord is uh, comforting his people who will be in captivity. They will have spent a lifetime in the nation of Babylon, as captives. Some of them may remember what it was to be in Israel. Some of them were born in captivity. don't know what it is to live outside of Babylon. But uh, as um, the word comes to them, they are going to be called to leave Babylon and by faith go back to uh, Israel to rebuild it and to reestablish Jewish presence there in Israel, quite quite an adventure of faith there for them. And this text is probably given about uh, somewhere around, you know, later uh, in in Isaiah's ministry, maybe around 710, something like that, 720 uh, BC. The northern tribe is going to fall around 722. The area of the 10 northern tribes falls around 722 Judah is going to fall in a series of deportations under Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon starting in 609 the final one being 587. So Isaiah is prophesying probably 120 years before they even go into captivity. So you know we got to appreciate you know when this text is given and who it's going to so we can see what the Lord is saying to them and how it applies to them. You know again there is a whole bunch of people who lived and died in Babylon. As Israelites. You know, maybe the first generation going into Babylon, you know, been there for 20 years, 30 years, remembering what it was, trying to communicate to the upcoming generation what Israel is and who they were called to be. But those years march on 20, 30, 40, 50 years. These texts then would have come to those people uh, in a new way. Yes, they had them for 120 years, but they were looking far down the road at the application of them. Really, was, you was know, probably a bit of a dream for some of them to remember, oh yeah, we're gonna go back to Israel. And they would look at these texts. Because remember, um, the Lord, through Isaiah, is calling his people to leave Babylon. At the end of that 70 years, they were to leave Babylon and return. And um, again, we looked at this last week um, as the Lord said to go forth from Babylon. Remember, there was a warning to not be a wicked person and ignore the command of God. Because when we ignore the command of God, we lose touch with that peace, right? The Lord said, there's no peace for the wicked. And the dangers of ignoring and the dangers of uh, stopping going forward in the commands of the Lord, we lose touch with that peace and the riches of that peace across our life. We looked at that. So there's a warning of not fulfill those commands. Well, this morning also, uh, as that text goes forward, we look at what the Lord is saying to those who will go. Not only is there a danger to not going and and not fulfilling God's command, but the Lord knows those people who are going to go to Israel from Babylon, they need some special encouragement because they're going to be taking a very large venture of faith. And so I think the text this morning, chapter 51, 1 through 16, and, and maybe a little farther beyond that. Is a good instruction from the Lord on how to take a venture of faith. So let's look at it. Let's look at it. Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 3 says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. And he will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Again, the, you know, the captives sitting there, kind of languishing in Babylon, had a long, long time to think about going back to Israel. I don't know if you've ventured out in faith. Um, I think all of us need to do that. As Christians, we are called to be constantly going out, looking to do great things to the Lord. We serve a great God. We ought to be doing great things for him. You know, ventures of faith can be kind of scary propositions. Um, you know, Lord's going to bring us to some place that we, you know, and maybe maybe it's just a matter of scale. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to leave your home and go out. Maybe a venture of faith is... Um, you know just taking extra steps to witness to people, or um, um, you know, to, to be more bold in your faith, or, or maybe it is to, to start a new ministry. It's thinking, I, you know, I think the Lord is telling me to do something here, and that can be very intimidating, it can be very scary. And um, um, you know, the longer you got to sit and look at something that the Lord is calling you to do, that's kind of intimidating, kind of large scale. The more you start to analyze it and think about it, when you first hear from the Lord about the Lord's calling me to do something, it can be very exciting. Wow, the Lord's gonna ask me to do that, praise the Lord. I'm all for it. But you, gotta, you got some time, like these guys had. Maybe 20 years, maybe 10 years, 15 years, maybe five years, maybe just six months. But you got time to think about it, what you're really saying you're gonna do. And it can be a little intimidating, that uh, novelty and the excitement about taking a venture of faith can start to get challenged by, you know, some analysis and some rational thinking. because look at what they're being called to do is leave the economic security, the established, set, comfortable life of living in Babylon to go and re-emerge in Israel. And, and really, you're leaving everything that you know in Babylon. Might not be where you're supposed to be, but we know it. And we're going to go to Israel? There's nothing there. To go there, you know, there's no financial security. There's, there's no society. There's no police force. There's nothing. You know, you've got to have a screw loose to do that. <laughs> a lot of people would say. Yet that's what the Lord is calling them to do. And the longer you have ahead of time to think about that, it can weigh on you. And you start to go, wait, wait, what am I really saying here? It's very common. So the Lord speaks to them. And he says, three times he's going to say to them, listen to me. He says, listen in verse 1. He says, listen in verse 4. He says, listen to me in verse 7. So here we go. How to take a venture of faith. What's your venture of faith? Has the Lord got you you aiming at something? I I think you ought to be praying about, where does the Lord want to use me? Something new. And how do I do that? Well, here you go. Listen. Listen to what the Lord says to them, and we'll see how it applies to us. He says, first of all, look to the rock, from which you were hewn, and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. That's not a very picture. I mean, I have to see a picture of a kind of a dirty hole. And they're digging down, and they find the kind of a, just a, you know, an average rock that's covered in mud down there. He says, yeah, that was you. Yeah, um, remember who you were and where I found you. That's essential to going forward in a venture of faith. Why? Because it, it's so good to go back and remember where the Lord found you. Uh, You know, a lot of us, I think a lot of testimonies were, you know, we were not well appointed people and life was not smooth and going forward nicely. Uh, There was a lot, you know, a lot of testimonies are, I was in the midst of this self-created distress, this collapse. It wasn't pretty. A lot of, a lot of those testimonies are. And and the Lord found us in a place where we didn't want to be. uh, But there we were. Remembering who we were and where he found us brings about humility in us, very essential towards any venture of faith. You're being called to do this not because of who you are. It's got nothing to do with who you are. You know, it's very tempting to weigh out um, a venture of faith um, based on our own resources. And look, remember where you were? I remember where I was. And um, it's very tempting to um, look at our lives now, now that he's blessed us and he's brought a measure of stability and prosperity to, to our lives because of his, his grace and his mercy and the strength of his word remaking us. It's real tempting to start to measure out the venture of faith he's calling us to based on ourselves and our own resources. Mm-mm. Go back and look to where he got you from. Because if he... If he ever removed his spirit, you would be right back there in just a moment. It wouldn't take long to look like what you once were. So don't don't go into a venture of faith with anything but confidence in God. No confidence in yourself. Humility. We all tend to think too highly of ourselves. Scripture says... Romans 12, I say to you through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Um, So strip away all confidence in yourself in this venture. You know, um, and when you take a venture of faith, things could could look like, wow, he wants me to do what? Okay, again, we're not sufficient for the ministry, are we? It's all about the Lord, it's not about us. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, the pit from which you were dug, he says. uh, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Um, Again, the right position to go on an adventure of faith, no confidence in ourself, other than we're just a servant, doing something not of my own resources, and it's not about me. Um, You know, the world's way... Measure out the task, plan with resources, and think, can you really do this? Um, But if you're going to start something in the flesh, you're going to have to maintain it in the flesh. We don't want that. You don't want that. We want this to be about God's spirit. In fact, one of the people who's probably receiving this text and looking at it and going to have to go out at the command of the Lord is none other than Zerubbabel. He was called to build the temple. And to him, a special word of the Lord came said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So how important it is, remember where you came from. Don't be confident in yourself, be confident in the Lord and in his spirit. Remember where I came, remember where I found you. He has something for you to do. A scale doesn't matter, big little, I don't know. He knows you need help and encouragement to do it. Remembering where we were, Creates humility. Creates confidence in God. Creates a position of thankfulness to the Lord. Give you a tank full of thankfulness. Tank of thanks. So that you can go forward in the Lord. Remember, he says, look to Abraham and Sarah. The father of a nation. Okay, we know their story. They're going to be called to be the father of a nation, right? Okay, look at his resume when he gets called. One guy, one wife. Where are you going, Abraham? Well, oh, I'm going to go to um, Canaan. Um, I've been promised some property down there. Oh, yeah, you know anybody down there? No. You got any kids? No. And he's going to make you a nation? No land, no property, no kids? Right. Okay, see you later. <laughs> but look, the testimony there is, is recorded in Scripture, scripture, and, and the Lord says it plainly. I called him alone i didn't need his i didn't need his help he was just somebody i wanted to use and bless and i blessed him and increased him what does that mean again um you know the essence i think of that is that when we go forward in a in a venture of faith we can consign ourselves this way i'm your problem lord um you got to take care of me and so you made these promises this is your gig um I think that's really healthy for them to remember their history, where they came from that way, so that they would know when they got back there, as they went forward to that call of the Lord to go to Israel, redo this, that the Lord can use average people. Sarah and Abraham, totally average. Um, Nothing special about them. And, um, you know, I think that's very appropriate for us to recognize. Lord uses average people, you know, sub average. I qualify. Uh, I was a notorious underachiever, and um, He's willing to use underachievers. Um, you know, I, I think that's really healthy to look at lives that the Lord has used. There are some great testimonies in the scripture, right? We can study them. Abraham, Sarah, you can go forward and pick up anybody out of the biblical narrative study their life and see how the Lord used them. But, you know, I think there's a lot of testimonies out there that are good for us if we want to have the faith to go forward and be strengthened that way in, uh, in a in of faith. Read biographies of Christians who have been used by the Lord. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're if you do that, I think the, I think that ought to be somewhere in your reading. If you're going to be reading spiritual things, I think you ought to be reading spiritual things somewhere. Uh, what kind of missionary biographies are you familiar with? Here's a, f- a few names. If, if you're new to the Lord, maybe you haven't heard of these names before. Or, or maybe you've never read about William Carey in the 1700s, considered the father of modern missions. Went to uh, India. And uh, um, uh, Adoniram Judson, again, late 1700s, um, first North American Protestant missionary in Myanmar, or Burma as we call it. Um, He labored for 12 years, and in that 12 years, he saw 18 converts. Try that on. Yeah, okay, but by the time he died, he had established over 100 churches and over 8,000 people. So there's some testimonies of God using average people, To do amazing things. Um, One of my favorites, uh, George Mueller. You ever read George Mueller's biography? An average guy used by the Lord. Uh, He became convinced the Lord wanted to to work and take care of orphans. And so he began some orphanage work in England. But he's also convinced the Lord would take care of it completely without having to beg people for money. And so he took care of over 10,000 orphans with never asking for money from any person. He just went to the Lord with his needs. There's a testimony we can read about and be encouraged in a venture of faith. Um, other people that, you know, you can, you can come up with famous Christians that you ought to know about. In fact, there's a book. Lots of books like that. Warren Wiersbe's got a book, Victorious Christians You Ought to Know. Short little book, greatly encouraging for, for those who want to see how the Lord uses average people I remember I read, um, I remember I read a, um, a book called Bruchko. Young man, you know, late teens, decides he wants to serve the Lord and go to an a, um, obscure jungle tribe. Nobody would have him, so he went by himself. No missionary support, no organization, just walking in the jungle. Um, he's got a magnificent testimony how the Lord used him. Books called Bruchko. Um, I read another one, another one. I bring these up because these are kind of obscure, but they were influential on me. A lady named Jackie Pullinger became convinced she wanted to be a missionary. And uh, again, no missions organization would take her, so she took what she had, bought a ticket to go as far as she could. They only let her off the boat in Hong Kong because uh, somewhere in her family, um, a distant relative was on the police force in Hong Kong. When she got off the boat, she had $10 dollars. That was it. She knew nobody. Didn't speak the language. She went to the walled city of Hong Kong, called Kowloon. Police wouldn't even go there. Lost to drugs and gangs. And she's got a magnificent testimony of the Lord saving drug addicts, pulling people out of gangs, thriving for the Lord. Beautiful story called Chasing the Dragon." I think my favorite was uh, I read um, early in my life was uh, my Christian life was um, the book called Through Gates of Splendor, uh, the story of Jim and, Elis- Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Went with some other couples down to reach a notorious killing killer tribe of, of Indians, and um, in their first contact with the tribe, um, the tribe killed the men uh, who had been reaching out to Jim Elliot. Um, Steve Saint, do I got that right? And or um, anyways, um, speared him to death. Um, but the the women resolved that they would not leave, and because of that res- that resolve to be used by the Lord, even in the face of that, wow, the testimony of what God did through through them, it's just amazing. So, um, look. um The call is to look while you're going on a venture of faith towards how God has used other people. Do it. If you're you're there, you're thinking about a venture of faith, you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, look at how God has used other totally average people in great ways. Let's keep going. Verse 3, he says, For the Lord will comfort Zion. Will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Um, You know, he sets before them the promises of his will that attend, will attend their work. He promises there's going to be transformation. You just go and do what needs to be done and I'll transform it. And we've got to keep those things central in our mind if we're going to do a venture of faith. Do you, want, you know, I heard this early in my walk with the Lord. I think it's a great little catchphrase. I want to be investing where God is working. Uh, I want to be where God is working. Do you want to be there? I do. I want to see what God is doing. Um, this is God saying, here's what I want to do. You want to be in the middle of it? You can come with me. Very essential to uh, um, the important perspectives, encouragements, take a venture of faith, these things. Let's look at the next listen. Number, verse four, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Very important to uh, any venture of faith is an eternal perspective those uh, future glories that are open for anyone. Look what he says. There's justice, there's law, there's light. He says, my righteousness is near. Salvation has gone forth. In other words, it's available right now. In other words, he says, I've got an open invitation. And so any venture of faith that we take needs to have in it, the Lord's in it, uh, the emphasis needs to be the offer of salvation, the proclaiming of the gospel. My salvation is near. Our uh, righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. It's already available. There's, you know, He's standing by, waiting for you to call. Look, there's lots of good things we can do in any venture of faith. And I think ventures of faith sometimes are tied into good works. You know, there's lots of poor people to help. Feed the poor, educate children, medical care where there isn't any, um, emergency relief work. Those all are great things to do. Those all have good purposes. But for all that we're investing in, in a venture of faith, those things are just doorways to preach the gospel. And, um, you know, we, we want to be careful, man, in, in ventures of faith that we do, People can appeal to us for uh, really good things to do. And that's, you know, we ought to have a heart of compassion for people. But when I start investing in in good works that way, and I think in any venture of faith, we want to make sure that we don't sidetrack the gospel to a good work. Um, Keep the eternal perspective, proclaiming Jesus as a savior. He's needed by everybody. And those good things we're doing to help them will open people's hearts So that we can tell them, have you heard? God sent his son to die for your sin. He rose from the dead to prove that forgiveness is available to you. He says, heaven and earth are passing away. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. Now think of the audacity of that statement. One obscure guy, 2,000 years ago, you know, an uh, itinerant carpenter or something says heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word's not going to pass away. That's absolutely lunacy, unless it's true. I mean, that's the choice, right? That's what we're going out proclaiming. The eternal perspective is that we're going forward to proclaim the gospel. We might have something attached to it, but we're going to pro- ultimately proclaim the gospel. Um, that eternal perspective also breeds into any, uh, anybody who's going out in a venture of faith is a deep concern for the lost. There's there's lots on the line here in any venture of faith. It's what drives people in ministry. It's what drives our Gideon brothers. They're going out to put the word in people's hands because they know God's word by itself doesn't need any help. It is powerful in itself to save souls, and that's the message. It, it can be understood by children, and they do that, taking huge risks to go places where the word of God isn't welcome. But they do it because the concern for the lost. Any venture of faith has got to have that in it. Uh, you know, today there's lots of people doing those these kinds of things. I just read a news article and wanted to bring it to you. Um, Just by way of example here, what drives these people? It says this, a Bible charity vows vows to continue translation work after murders murders of four employees. I'm just going to read a couple sentences out of this news clip. The murders of four translators working to bring the Bible to obscure languages in the Middle East earlier this month won't stop the charity behind the effort from its work. Officials have said this is from April 3rd this year. Four unidentified translators who worked secretly for Wycliffe Associates, a Florida nonprofit dedicated to bringing the gospel to hundreds of obscure languages, were killed by suspected Islamic militants in an undisclosed location, Wycliffe officials said in a statement. Quote, they shot and destroyed all the equipment in the office, read the statement. The invaders burned all the books and other translation materials in the office. At the associates the Wycliffe associates president said this even when tragedy strikes as in this case the testimony of Christ is loud and clear the work is so dangerous the Wycliffe associates will not say what country the office was in or give the names of those killed but he did say that the attackers shot two workers to death and then beat two more to death with emptied guns as they used their bodies to shield a senior translator who survived Quote, the remaining translation team has decided to redouble their efforts to translate, publish and print God's Word for these eight language communities." What drives adventure of faith like that? It's a deep, eternal perspective that understands that there's a huge um, danger lying in front of those who are lost. So you know that's what we're doing. that's why we're down in Haiti, right? I mean, we do a lot of good works down in Haiti. We've got a school, we've got a radio station, we've got um, uh, medical work, we've got economic things going on, um, all of that. It's, that's great stuff. The areas benefited from it, but ultimately, it's also that Basti can proclaim the gospel down there, and people can be saved. You know, I like this. Um, even in the midst of talking to people here in this Isaiah 51, um, you know, I see as the Lord even calls to them and encourages them, what does he say? He says, listen to me. And and look what he said. He said, um, also said, law will proceed from me. I will make my justice, rest, and light of the peoples. I think those are all terms that Call us to god 's word, uh, and in fact, he starts it off listen to me, listening to god 's word so um, any venture of faith 's got to center on god 's word also got to be hugely uh, emphasizing god 's word god 's love as proclaimed in his word so um Mr. Gideon's not out here, is he? Yell from the back room How many translate? how many languages are you in? A hundred, a hundred different languages of their Gideon's Bibles are in and uh Gideons are great examples of putting God's word, emphasizing god's how many Two hundred countries a hundred countries, different languages praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What a great venture of faith. Let's keep going. Um, an eternal perspective, totally necessary, centering on God's word, um, deep concern for the lost. Listen to these, look at these last last ones, verses seven through 16. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment. And the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Um, Okay, any venture of faith has to recognize that there's going to be opposition. I mean, that's just one of the spiritual realities that we face as Christians, right? We've looked at it over and over again in the scripture. There's a devil who does not want people being saved, and he does not want people understanding God's word. And he uses resources that are available to him on this earth to oppose it. Which is going to be, you know, the scripture says, the whole world lays under the sway of the wicked one. Well, it's going to be people who are going to be motivated that way to do it. They may not be, no, they're being used by the enemy that way. It Might be couched under, you know, civil rights and legislation and things like that. The people who are taking ventures of faith, you, me, We've got to look at it from a different perspective. Look at it from the, from the spiritual dynamic. And look, you know we're just one generation of Christians going forward wanting to do a venture of faith, whatever your venture of faith looks like, and we're learning about that, right? We're learning to recognize an open door, a call from the Lord. The devil doesn't have to learn it again every new generation, like the church does. Devil's an expert. He's been around for thousands of years watching the Lord call his people to ministries and open doors. He knows well ahead of time who the Lord is going to be interested in and where that gospel is going to go. And he's going to set up barriers long before anybody gets there. Okay, we've got we to recognize that. Um, and one of the things he sets up, obviously, is people to oppose us. Don't fear the reproach of men, the Lord says, nor be afraid of their insults. You know, the Bible's actually full of these kinds of words, isn't it? Don't be afraid of men. Psalm 56, in God I will praise his word, in God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Jesus himself said, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hebrews 13, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. Why does the Bible say it that much, say it that often? The obvious answer is because we're so susceptible to being afraid of people. We are. Um, Everybody is to some degree. Um, you You know, there's a million reasons why Uh, We're afraid of what people say about us. Everybody gets there a different way, um, to a different degree. Some people really have a strong desire to be liked, afraid of rejection, fear of conflict, you know, certain insecurities, whatever. Um, But, you know, the realities behind those things um, is the devil wants to stop you, and he will use fear and those ways in which we are vulnerable to fear and what people say about us to stop us. Fear can be very distracting. It can stop us. In, our, in, our, in the moment of talking to somebody, can stop us. And, and, you know, that's just power over us. Really, I was sent by the Lord to speak to somebody and I'm not going to because I'm afraid of something. How they're going to think about me. What they're going to say to me. Now, but wait a minute. Let's think about that a little bit. Um, if that kind of fear is stopping us and causing us hesitation, let's just think about it. Because it comes out of, I believe, it comes out of an understanding of who we are or a false understanding of who we are. Because if they're making me afraid, then their rejection of me means something to me. But wait a minute. Why does their rejection of me mean something to me? It's because I think sometimes we tie up our understanding of who we are based on what other people think of us. You know, that's kind of the way we're raised in a lot of ways. That needs to be displaced and given over to the Lord, those matters of identity. And I think the Lord allows us to get scared there a couple of times so that we can look at that fear and say, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be afraid of you, and yet I am. So why am I afraid of you? It's because what if you don't like me? Okay, so what if they don't like you? It's more important that I'm doing the Lord's work. That's enough to kick that, kick that thought and that, that little displaced identity over. But wait a minute. Also... The Lord is the one who gets to say who I am and what I am and what he says is reality, not what you say. Okay, we come up against that fear. I think everybody comes up against that fear at least once so you can make that shift and start taking those steps of faith away from people owning who we are. God does. God owns who we are and what we are. And what he says is the final word. You know, just start at the first first verse of the Bible. God said, let there be light. And you go through all that. And he said, you know, let there be, and God's word determines reality, not men. So the devil's gonna do this. The devil's gonna cast um, reproach, which is just like, uh, um, and in something to make you embarrassed about what you're doing. Um, and insults. Um, for those who are taking a venture of faith, you've got to recognize that behind those things that are happening, it's just a spiritual dynamic. And really, in a, in a strange sort of way, when you see that, you can be encouraged because it means you're in the right place. The devil doesn't bother bugging people who aren't going forward, who aren't taking ventures of faith. Paul saw it, saw it this way. He said, For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. In other words, he he kind of felt like if there was an opposition, if I wasn't getting in trouble, I'm not doing it right. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need a correct view of this. It isn't the people, it's the devil. He doesn't want this to happen And it's not my problem. It's the Lord's problem. He knows it's here. I'm just going to wait on him. It's not about me. You know, you ever been in a place where you were threatened by somebody and you really wish somebody bigger was on your side? That's this right now. You can do that. God's on your side. You can't take the devil on, but he can. He's the Lord. The Lord's right there by you. He says, this is an issue of power. He says, "Let's, let's talk about power. Let's compare power. Who should you be intimidated by? Here's me, he says. Go down to verse 13. You forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You want to talk about power? Okay, I've got power. And he says, the guys that are coming against you, look how weak they are. Back in verse 8, they get knocked out by a moth. How's that for a week? I mean, when's the last time you saw anybody like, okay, you had a bug in your house and you screamed and you, for somebody else to come kill it. But ultimately, they're so weak, even the littlest little speck of nothing, and they're done. So we're taking a venture of faith. Yeah, we're going to be exposed. We're going to be invulnerable to some things. We need some encouragement, some correct perspectives. Don't be afraid of men. Keep the eternal perspective. The Lord is going to work. The Lord is going to use you. Don't be afraid of their insults. It doesn't mean anything. Jesus said, blessed are you when all manner of evil is spoken against you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Right, So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice in that day be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's the perspective to have in opposition and insults, slander. So here we go. I think these texts are important for those who are wanting to know how to take a venture of faith. Remember accurately who you are. Remember who you, who you were when the Lord found you. It's going to keep you nice and humble. Full of thankfulness. Uh, Look at others who have been used by the Lord because they're just like you. Don't measure the task by your own resources. Measure by God's resources. It's his work. It's his resources. And the chief of those resources are his Holy Spirit, the word of God. We're going to keep a strong eternal perspective. Yeah, we might use some material things to bless people. That's great. But it's ultimately so that we can proclaim Jesus as the Savior. People need to be saved, and that's what we're investing in, people being saved. We're going to center on the gospel because we have a deep, deep, deep concern for the lost, and that's what's driving this adventure of faith. Don't be afraid of people. It's not them. They don't know that they're being used that way. Be patient with them. Pray against the devil. Expect him. and Be encouraged when he shows up to bug you because, hey, he doesn't want you to go there because... He knows what the Lord is going to do. So there's some words for how to take a venture of faith. If you're not a Christian this morning, then you can become one because we're all about proclaiming the gospel here at Calvary Chapel. If you want to know that Jesus died for your sin, for every way in which your life has failed and offended God, uh, you can know that this morning. He's already provided for you to be forgiven and, and given perfect standing before him because of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. If that's you this morning. After we uh, sing, there'll be people up front here. You come forward and pray with us. and We'll make sure we get you good literature in your hands and we make sure that you pray with somebody to receive the Lord. Let's stand and we'll finish there this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. As you strengthen us, Lord, to go forward, we know that there's gonna be ventures of faith. So thank you, Lord, for that invitation Strengthen us in every way that you might be glorified in our lives. As that's our end, Lord, you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.